Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, The Intersection of Real Estate Strategy and Workplace Strategy, we are joined by Valerie Garrett, VP and Director of Workplace Design at Fifth Third Bank, Matt Kovich, Director of Project Delivery and Corporate Real Estate at Nationwide Insurance, and Patrick Donnelly, Client Leader and Partner at BHDP. Today, our guests discuss how corporate real estate and design strategy converge to redefine the workplace. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. My name is Valerie Garrett. I work at Fifth Third Bank as Director of Design. I'm responsible for the fit, finish, and function of all of our physical spaces throughout our entire footprint. So that includes our retail branches, it includes our office spaces, and it includes our wealth and asset management offices where we serve our wealth clients as well. I do not get a raise for alliteration. So um, the question has come up before, but no. <laughs> I was going to ask that because usually when, you know, fit, finish, and function, when you have an alliteration like that as a consultant, you get to charge more, right? It's just right. it's part yeah. of it. So that's great. Thank you, Valerie. Matt, would you tell us who you are? And actually, is it Matt or Matthew? I should ask that. Yeah. So I, I go by Matt. So yeah, my name is Matt Kovich and I am the director of workplace design within corporate real estate at Nationwide. In addition to kind of leading our design team, I also serve as a program manager for our multi-year reinvestment uh, program. So overseeing design and sort of delivery of reinvestment for all of our nationwide spaces where we have nationwide associates. So that's what I'm responsible for up here in Columbus. Well, great, Matt. Thank you very much. And that's interesting because you're, you know, it's design, but also where do we invest the dollars, right? So there's a real estate piece to that as well. And next up, thank you for that, Matt. Also, we have with us Patrick. Tell us who you are and what you do. Patrick Donnelly. I'm a principal at BHDP, architect by training, founder of the strategic consulting practice. And I spend my days uh, doing integrated design. So taking strategy into design and uh, change leadership and alignment for our clients. And uh, good to be here. So it sounds like we have the right participants for this conversation because we're covering all the sides. We've got design, strategy, and real estate. So we want to talk about the integration of workplace strategy and design and where they intersect and intertwine. So how do we get started on this? Like where, where do these converge? Where do they butt heads? Because real estate's more than just dollars per square foot, right? So we want to have a little more complex conversation about that. I know, Valerie, I didn't know if you wanted to kick us off. There is a dollars per square foot thing that we have to think about because that's responsible and it's good stewardship. But it's always, always, always about human beings. That's where it all converges. I mean, real estate is always, buildings are always about people. You don't build them as monuments unto themselves. You build them for human beings. And if you take away the people, the buildings languish. And then the neighborhoods around them languish. And, and then you get blight. That's where it all converges. And if we make all three disciplines, real estate, workplace strategy, design strategy, about human beings and put people in the center of all of those decisions, we will make the right decisions. They won't always be perfect decisions, but they certainly will be better than if we don't do that. Thanks, Valerie. Matt, did you want to expand on that? Like, how do you approach this from a, a human-centric focus? It's really kind of an interesting time, right? There's so many discussions going on, even outside of kind of real estate circles on what do we need going forward? What does that footprint look like? What are those strategy portfolio decisions? 
Also, what does the workforce look like going forward? And I know it's been just very interesting to sort of watch those trends, even by our leaders and decisions we're making here at Nationwide. And I think it's so important to Valerie's point, how do we come alongside those senior leader decisions? So all the portfolio decisions, all the decisions on how people are going to work and make sure we have design solutions that support how we expect folks to be working in the future. And that is very much uh, about the engagement with the folks who are going to be doing doing the work going forward. Yeah, Matt, I would agree. And, and Valerie, um, this idea at BHDP we call design for people means the conversation starts with people. When you show up as a designer, often folks expect you to ask them their favorite color. Not that that's not important. It's just if you start there, it doesn't get back to the issues of humanizing the workplace. How does work enable people to be more effective and have a better experience when they're at work? And I've had the good fortune of working with both Matt and Valerie, and they've really established in their roles, one, a strategic seat at the table, and two, a network of folks on their teams and connectivity to leaders in their organizations where they can have that conversation that can blossom into real data and information that can impact design that goes beyond what makes something beautiful, which is certainly important, but also how does it function and how do you occupy a place in such a way that people are enhanced by it? I love the example you just gave because the most skilled way to approach these things for design strategists, workplace strategists, the, the people that operate within my world and Matt's world, is both from a macro and a micro point of view. And you have told me in the past that that's a little bit unique to be able to do both of those things. But everything you just said, yes, to is correct in terms of data-driven design and the strategic approach to all of these things. But then also we know if you paint an HR area red, for example, you can bring out the worst in people. (laughs) So, so these are details that you they're they're not unimportant. Mm-hmm. They're not the place to start, but you have to do both. You have to do all of those things and think about all of those details as well. Because I understand that uh, red in color theory makes people hungry. So if you have HR that's red, it makes the you know everybody's just hangry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's why fast food chains are mostly red. But it's interesting because I've been doing workplace strategy specifically for like a decade now, and when we sit down with senior leadership and we talk about what are the drivers for this project they do things like we want to create an exciting environment people it's about attracting and retaining the best talent we want to bring people in but what they don't say is that we're trying to reduce that cost you know uh, we're trying to reduce our footprint to save money that's not the main driver but that usually always is like an unspoken subset of that but now I think that uh, we're coming post-pandemic. There, a lot of folks are looking at, well, we maybe have an opportunity here to shed a substantial amount of real estate. If we're talking about human-centric design and human experience, how is that going to impact design? And are you guys talking about that with your agency? And and how do you maintain? Well, coming off the pandemic, I think one thing that is just really interesting is people are much more informed now on what works and what doesn't work in terms of working remotely, working in. 
people understand what they want. They want to be able to have flexibility when they come back into the office. And so you see just a very dynamic environment, very different than where I was maybe 18 months ago when we talked to people about different ways of working. And we would have to say, well, imagine if you work from home or imagine if you had a different way of working. Well, now everyone is very well informed on, on how that can work. And so it just makes for richer conversations, I think, as we come forward. It also makes the job maybe a little more challenging in that there are various ways folks that want to work. And just a way of example, while Nationwide does have some corporate policies on that can be implemented, the decisions are really pushed down to leadership. So what that means for us in the design world is the fact that we could engage with one business unit and they have one perspective on how often people are in the office. We engage with another one and they have a different perspective. So we need to be able to come not just to senior leaders and have guidelines one size fits all, but a range of options that allows us to engage and talk with different business unit leaders and help them realize what's in the art of the possible that's going to help make them successful amidst this kind of very dynamic environment. Yeah, I, I would say, Brian, that this can be tricky, but I think it's not as hard as what people may initially believe. I don't need lots of space. I need the right space. Mm -hmm. And if I have the right space, that's all the space that I need. The debate isn't necessarily where I work. It's do I have the right space? And so I'm going to be attracted to the space that supports me. If the space doesn't support me, then let's fix it. It's broken. So if we broke the workplace or if the workplace is, has been broken, let's fix it, make it supportive of work. And so when I choose to be there or when I need to be there, it's actually supporting me. It's the right space. And then I don't need extra. And so as long as we're calibrating spaces to really support human behavior in the work environment, I think it, it becomes natural to, to shed the extra. And certainly then when you combine that with things like badge data for organizations that badge in or badge in and out, and you can start to see like, oh gosh, we only on any given day have about 60% of people here anyway, you can start to use data to inform some of those decisions. It's scary for people to think about shutting real estate because it initially feels like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have enough space. But I think it's really important. That hoarder meant, well, if I let it go, I can't get it back. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I think this part of the conversation also illustrates the integration of strategy and design and real estate because of the way our, our two guests have framed it up. Valerie's talking about framing the issue, identifying the problem that you're solving making sure that that's framed properly, that's a design discipline. Matt's really talking about work and talking about enabling the right experience for people, but he's talking about providing options you know, for folks where he's thought through with his team and with our team working with them options for the way people are going to operationalize or utilize space, which influences the design of the space. Really, this is a textbook example of why design thinking has become something that helps solve business problems. Because we're using these disciplines that go beyond drawing something or creating something that's physical, but we're also beginning to solve other architectural issues like organizational architecture, experiential architecture. And these are two organizations that believe in that, as well as BHDP, so I guess I would say three. <laughs> yeah. Patrick, I think that's right. The, the other thing I think is it is imperative that we as design and real estate professionals put things in language that is digestible for people. 
and sometimes that's hard for us. So for example, we think in hundreds or thousands of square feet as real estate design workplace professionals. Most people don't think that way. Most people think in increments of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 residential square footages. So if you can equate the conversation to a residential square footage that is something that people understand sort of naturally, it helps a lot. So at Fifth Third, for example, when we first began on our journey to revitalize the workplace and humanize the workplace, it did involve shedding real estate because we had tremendous amounts of extraneous real estate just by the nature of the way that our work had changed once we needed it, now we don't. When we started to walk people through that, one of the things that we said is, I don't think any anybody would say that I need a small cottage to work in as an individual. And people understood that because we were equating square footages to the sizes of spaces that were recognizable to them versus a 100,000 square foot office environment. I'm guessing, Matt, that synchronizes with your thinking pretty well, too, having worked together on some of these strategies. It really does. Yeah, being able to put it in terms they understand to Valerie's point and then adding in there the additional context. So and it ends up being a dialogue. So typically the businesses will say, hey, as we've learned over this past year, we think we could actually do work from home a little bit more. How would that work? And what if they wanted to come in the office and we can help them to sort of see, okay, well, if you do, people do come in the office, we can set up with a certain type. It's not that they don't have any kind of home, but we would set it up a little different. Here's how that could work. And if you wanted to move that direction, here's the space you could save. Here are the dollars associated. So we found it a very interesting dialogue as folks are weighing, all right, I think we want to do this, but how how would this work and what would the savings be? Help us articulate sort of the, not only the the, the business case, but the cost savings and, and what does the space look like and us coming alongside with them and helping to match where they want to go with sort of their business operations with a real estate footprint and design within a space that really marries up uh, nicely for them. So it is very much putting it in terms they understand and helping them understand how can this work going forward. Was that a natural sort of evolution of your team doing scenario planning with your internal customers? Because I know that you've been really upscaling what your team does? I think it was a natural evolution, Patrick. I I really do. I think that's kind of where we've been heading. What I will say, that doesn't mean it was necessarily an easy evolution. I mean, I think it's where we needed to go. We really had to challenge ourselves to think about how do we lead focus groups? How do we ask the right kinds of questions to drive the dialogue that's going to help us better understand the business needs and then help us provide sort of a range of options. So we've spent a fair amount of time just coming up with, you know, for example, moving away from sort of one size fits all guidelines. You tell me you have 100 people and I build a space for 100 people to a dialogue that is more like, you have 100 people, but half of them work from home now. Some of them are going to work three in the office three days a week. And we need a space that sort of helps with all of that and the associated technology to kind of bring these hybrid groups together. And Valerie, I'm curious about your point of view on that, too, because you lead a convergence team that includes your team internally, but I also find our team being an extension of that. So has that been a natural evolution for you, or has that evolution come 
as a challenge to, to your team. Yeah, and I want to add to that too. I, I know Fifth Third, you were ex- experimenting with different ratios for different groups based on their operational needs prior to the pandemic. Yeah. So like, you know, how many seats per person was different based on the needs of that group. And I'm sure, I wonder how much that's changed. Are you asking the same questions or do you have to modify those questions? You know? Yeah, so, so I would say the evolution certainly has been natural have spent enough time in the space of changing people's work environment and understanding the pain that people feel and the fear that they feel as that evolves for them to really work hard to create an experience that abates those difficult emotions for them. Meaning we're going to try to put it into language that gives them greater confidence as it pertains to our convergence team. I really want to inspire the team toward a certain way of thinking, toward a way of thinking that's very human-centered, that is timeless, that prompts us to design with universal human needs in mind. That naturally drives us to think about the things that we need to be keeping top of mind. And then, you know, Brian, when you talk about ratios, excuse me, um, we have been asked post-pandemic, like, gosh, what do we need to do to, to really, do we need to change things coming out of the pandemic? And I'm both pleased and proud to be able to say no, because we already designed for this. Yeah, We've designed space that, that supports universal human need that is flexible, adaptable. You probably can get more people technically into the same space because fewer people may be here at the same time. So when we say more people into the same space, that means more people assigned or our ratios could go up in terms of people to spaces. But that's really because there are not as many people trying to share the same space at the same time all the time. And I would say also that's changing for the bank that, you know, what we're finding. and, And I would say just broadly speaking, there's a little bit of whiplash at how rapidly the world is reopening and like going back to old normal. The narrative that we're never going to be the same has fallen a little flat in a lot of ways. I mean, people are anxious to get back to the way things used to be. It's not everybody, but it's more people than I imagine, quicker than I imagine. We, prior to the pandemic, allowed groups to self-select, whether they wanted to be fully assigned, whether they wanted to be neighborhood assigned, or whether they wanted to be fully unassigned. We're still doing that, and it's going well. But when we talk about coming back together, I mean, we just opened a major renovation project to our headquarters that is converging multiple places and spaces together in a nucleus. And the joy is palpable when people walk through that space because they want to be together. They're seeing people that they haven't seen in over a year, and you can feel it reverberating through the space. So, Matt, from your perspective, do you have an engineering background? I do, and then I uh, yeah, served prior as a civil engineer in the Air Force and then got into logistics and several different things. So not a traditional engineering sort of working life, I guess, as it kind of took me in a lot of different ways. So, But there's, I mean, civil engineering, military, there's a lot of tactical, practical approach to everything. Using that lens, though, does that allow you to look at human experience from a different perspective? So when we talk about people and human experience and how to design for that, is there a part of you that is a little tactical and pragmatic from that engineering background? I don't know if it's as particular to training, but what I've learned in working the last seven years in this design role and 
learning coming alongside to really think about what it is we need is that it really pays to be as inclusive as possible. And so, yes, we have uh, engineers within our property operations teams. We have designers and they certainly uh, go about uh, problems differently. Uh, but it is very useful to bring them in and facilitate conversations to be able to look at uh, various aspects. And I would say the other group that we've been more inclined to bring in as of late, certainly with the learnings over last year, is our technology consultants as well. So when we sit down with customers, the ability to look at it from traditional sort of engineering lens on what's the space need, a design perspective of what it's going to look like, but how's it going to work and how are people going to work in there, but also bringing in that technology lens because it's not everybody in the space anymore. And so it's what do we have in the space and how do we bring folks together? Whatever path my journey from education through the Air Force to bring me to Nationwide, whatever that taught me, I guess it's the value of just let's bring people together and let's make sure we're all helping our customers get ultimately where they want to go. I think I'll chime in there. Brian, because my experience, though Valerie's background is quite different than Matt's, both are varied. I mean, lots of dimension. And I think whenever you're leading teams, especially in design and design thinking, having that varied background is really helpful. I would say the other thing the two of you have in common is this desire, this belief in co-creating solutions that what Matt just said is true in, in, at both Fifth Third and at Nationwide, that reaching out, getting information from ideating, getting ideas from feedback loop, growing those ideas through feedback is present in both their teams. I want to look at this, Valerie, from your perspective. I mean, we're talking about human experience and designing for people. You know, how do you approach that as a designer? And if you understand, you know, what are those universal human needs? Where does the nuance come in beyond that to, to make the space, you know, special? A couple of things. One is I'll just say, Matt, I love your background and it's a very unique journey to leading designers. We are a little bit unique in the way that that we need to be led, frankly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. My perspective as it pertains to universal human need and then where is their space for nuance i i think you can't talk about that without talking about culture let's take a few universal human needs and start there we have an enduring need and this has been this way for hundreds of years if not thousands certainly for connection we have a need to be known and to be heard we have a need for prospect and refuge the ability to see across the space and also the ability to retreat at the same time. And so if you think about things like biophilia and the concept of edges being really powerful and how you see creatures moving along edges, if you think about in the wild, a field next to a forest, the edge is where the critters live, right? Well, human beings are a bit that way as well. So that need for prospect and refuge. Those are some basic human needs that we have to design to. When we think about nuance, we can also start with the things that most people want. So you talked earlier, Brian, about when you do visioning sessions as a workplace strategist with teams about what they're trying to create, nobody says, I want to create a bad space that people hate, right? (laughs) Everybody wants a dynamic space. Everybody wants a space that works. Everybody, you know, there are some things that you probably hear really commonly. 
So where's the nuance? What's the differentiator? How do you know that you're going to be HDP space versus a nationwide space versus a fifth third space? And I don't think you can talk about that without talking about culture. Yeah. You have to figure out how to build a space that almost has its own set of lungs and is living and breathing in and out the things that you're about as an organization and as a body of people every single day. The space has to inspire for us. It's to be the one bank that people most value and trust, and it's to put the customer at the center of everything we do. Does the space say that? Am I inspired every day when I walk in the door to put the customer at the center and to help Fifth Third be the one bank that people most value and trust? What is the space doing to create that? So I think that you talk about the nuance by understanding the culture, and then you can start to create a space that is uniquely for nationwide, that's uniquely for the third or anybody else that you're designing for. Culture is a big part of that, but you also talked about, you know, like business drivers, what's driving the success of the organization and that need to be, you know, the trusted bank. That's more of a business driver, right? Then, and the culture can support that or... Uh, make it more challenging, that's for sure. It is, but I, I feel like, yes, you're right, so I'll say yes and instead of but. <laughs> you can't pull one of those levers without pulling the other. They're so intrinsically linked. So the way that I've talked about this with our, with our team most recently is as it relates to experiential graphic design. Part of our convergence team produces experiential graphic design on all of our projects as an integrated part of the work. An EGD, as we call it, is you could say that that's the pretty stuff. You could say that that's the finishing touch. Here's the reality. Those are ways, the quotes on the wall, the artwork, the imagery, the way that the, the space comes to life, the way that it lives and breathes who we are and helps us do that. That's one of the ways that we engage people. And engaged human beings are the engine of a successful bank, and a successful bank serves customers and gives us jobs. So I can immediately tie that EGD work to helping us operate as the one bank that people most value and trust. Those are intrinsically linked. And if you think about it that way, those business drivers become really much easier. I won't say easy but they become much easier to bring to life for people. Well said, Valerie, thanks for that. Did you wanna to add to that at all, Matt? I think what I was reminded of as Valerie was talking, and I'm glad she used the EGD example, I think many associates would walk by and say, oh, someone put something nice on the wall and that's a nice quote. What they don't see is what's behind the scenes to make a very impactful quote and a very impactful design moment takes a lot of partnership. In our case at Nationwide, that's a collaboration between our internal design team and an internal marketing team that spends countless hours thinking about uh, not only the messaging, but where it places within the building and where it's going to have the most impact. Uh, deliberate uh, kind of design practice around that and collaboration that goes into that. And I think all of it does go into, wow, I really love this space. And I think a lot of folks may not even know exactly why. But they start looking around, I love that it's here and I love the energy and I love the brand messaging that's included. But a lot of thought to be really intentional about that so you get the biggest impact for our folks when they do come into the office. I, I would like ex to extend that a little bit further because Matt made me think of 
something that's key to the conversation now when people return to proximity or this desire for social equity and social dynamics in the workplace is we often think of work and how work happens and collaboration and providing for that. But Matt, I know that you and Valerie also, but Matt, we've had conversations about amenities and magnets and how do you create magnets for people to come together and what is it that's going to draw them back and unique to Nationwide to that experience. And I wonder if you could extend that your commentary on EGD to that broader conversation that relates these additional spaces, these magnets, if you will, to real estate and that investment. I think it's interesting, Patrick, and especially at this time coming off the pandemic, where I, I don't know about you all, but I know a lot of folks are questioning, I got a pretty good setup at my house. I seem to be pretty productive. Why would I make the 40-minute commute or why would I do that? And others are thinking, well, no, I want to get back because I want to see my coworkers and I want to do it. So I think you have some really interesting dynamics going on that just I know we haven't we haven't seen before. So thinking about that entire experience, and so if I'm going to, what's my work experience like? And thinking about it in terms of from the commute in to the experience at the office and to the commute home, thinking about it from I'm in the office, Valerie's at home, how would we connect in, in an engaging way? And looking to design the spaces that not only traditional spaces for our uh, business units where they work all the time, but community spaces as well, common area spaces, and making sure they complement one another because our associates have a lot more choice than, than maybe they had previously that now includes possibly working from home. And so we want to create spaces that when they make that investment of time coming down when they're together, we have a variety of spaces that allows them to get their best work done. So the complementary spaces has really forced us to think about our entire portfolio, think about all of our square feet throughout the buildings and how do they complement with each other and what role do they fill in meeting the unique, very you know, flexible needs of our associates. You know, Matt, that's really interesting because when this started and I was working from home, I was literally working on my couch. I didn't own a desk for my house. So I bought a sit-stand desk for my house. And suddenly I have a really nice sit-stand desk and I have extra monitors, all these things I never had before. I have windows I can open and I have one of the things, complete control of my environment. And it was that sense of control brought to me a sense of safety. And that's one of the things that I wanted to bring to this group. The last big piece is universal human need is that need for safety because it activates, you know, our whole fight or flight reflex. Can you design for physical and mental well-being? Can you bring that sense of safety into workplace design? And, you know, what's the essential difference between the two? Because, you know, you can tell me that this space is safe, but I need to believe that as well. How do you bridge that? Is that something that you're even tackling? Yes, people, especially now, want to feel a sense of safety when they come in. And that's most preoccupied our time with kind of that physical safety. But of course, that's always been part of our design, making sure we have safe spaces and the right ergonomics and in bringing in uh, the right lighting and the, those kind kinds of things. But I think even beyond sort of the physical design and the aspects is the amenities we bring to the space that complement that, whether that's with our associate well-being and safety or whether it's uh, fitness programs or whatever the case may be. I think that speaks to an overall culture and perspective as well. So combining the physical, you know, uh, kind of design aspects as well as amenities we offer 
And then I think the last thing that's really big on it is just the impact of the culture and leadership culture that we have in a space. It's it's all well and good, uh, as you say there, right? You could say, yeah, we've designed for the right indoor air quality or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah. associates need to feel comfortable when they come in and they need to be supported by their leadership. So part of that is overtly just with the messaging and maybe some education, but also that is listening and understanding what is on associates' mind, what anxieties they have, and being in a position to support them. Yeah. I believe in the power of place. So my answer to the question is a resounding yes. Place can address the need for felt and real safety. As a bank, we have pretty stringent security measures in place. And so there's physical security that is visible and also that is not visible. And our director of executive protection, who has a background in the space for a, for a very long time, would tell you that the best security is the security you can't see. But I would go beyond that kind of security and safety and say, first, is a space navigable? Is it legible? And you find your way around. If I can't intuitively find my way around, it's disconcerting right out of the gate. Because now I'm out of place and I can't find my place. And I can't find anything that I know to orient me. So the need for me to orient myself easily and naturally is pretty important. So we start when we design spaces with that. Those kinds of approaches are really important for people. I think that goes back to those universal human needs is the, the ability to navigate and orient where I am. And this goes back, you know, thousands of years, right? If I can follow the river, I can start to orient to where I'm going, right? But I'm going to challenge you a little bit on your own podcast because I'm just yes. a little bit gutsy that Bring way. it. Bring and it. And say, I think that the conversation now coming out of the pandemic in particular is less about safety and more about wellness and overall well-being. How are we as workplace professionals creating opportunities for people to tend to their overall sense of wellness, both physical and non-physical? It's access to natural light. It's do we have spaces that we can leverage so that people can get outside? And that doesn't mean you have to be in a suburban campus to do that. So we have a space on the third floor that was part of the project that we just opened that was rooftop space. And we looked at it and said, boy, that would be a missed opportunity if we don't turn that into something. And it's now a terrace. And I'll tell you, it is full every day until about two o'clock in the afternoon when the sun is cooking it pretty yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Part of that is just a change of scenery. It helps me to be productive if I can move about a little bit and self-curate my own destination day to day, moment by moment, if I need to. But part of it is is wellness. I want to get outside. I'm, I'm going to be at work for many hours through the day and I want to get outside. So I think, yes, the workplace can speak to both the, the felt need for safety and security, the real need for safety and security, and certainly wellness. I agree too, Matt, with what you talked about, which is there's a huge leadership component. In fact, I think coming out of the pandemic and, and all of the conversations around where we work and how we work, the biggest opportunity is a leadership opportunity. Am I encouraging my people to tend to their wellness, their mental wellness, their physical wellness? 
Valerie, that's fantastic. I like when you challenge things too, because wellness, you're right, it is coming up a lot as a conversation. I just had one this past week where a leader of an organization said the biggest detriment to working in this remote hybrid way that he's seen is that there's this always on mentality, you know, this drive culture. And he's like, I used to always be able to eat lunch and now I can't. And I'm like, well, food is a basic human need. And the companies that are really successful in working in this manner, they make that sacred and they reserve that time to where people can't. And you, you have to be able to create those boundaries or edges even. These aren't edges, these are boundaries that say, this is what I needed to preserve my own personal wellness so then you can get the best out of me and not just keep going all the time for the sake of going. Yeah, Brian, I think that's great because the right question to that is, who told you you can't? We get, human beings, are we're remarkably adaptable and we'll just take on and take on and take on until we've lost the bookends to the day, we're rolling out of bed, heading to the desk, putting a, a jacket on on the top so that we can be presentable first Zoom call and blasting through the day. And maybe when the kids are home and, and dinner's on, we'll stop or I'm going to make dinner and then I'm going to go back to it. And, it. and it just sort of happens unless we take control of our own destiny and say, mm, that's not a good thing. And as leaders, that communicates. If I sit every day and take my lunch at my desk and work through my lunch, my team will start to feel like that's the normal and right thing to do, even if they know that it's not good. Yeah. Or if I'm sending them emails all hours of the day, they will begin to feel like they should be responding. I agree with everything with what Valerie was saying there. And what came to my mind was just the unique needs of everyone, the things that some associates, nothing bothers or certain things don't bother, but other things do. So that ability to I love the idea of just, you know, creating that environment for your particular team, but the values of the also the value of those kind of one on one conversations that allow you to do that. And we have to be much more intentional about it. I think now as we're separated, really making time to connect where we can to understand where we are. And I think even going forward, it's going to be a challenge. I know at least a nationwide will have Folks in the office, we're going to have folks work in different schedules. Everybody really enjoys the flexibility, which is really good. But I think as leaders, yeah, we got to make sure we're very intentional about finding those times to connect and just, hey, how you doing, right? And, and what can I do for you to help you out? That word intentionality, we often use the word deliberate. And I think this time causes us all to be more deliberate about our work, but also more deliberate about being thoughtful to others. Yeah, Valerie, Matt, uh, Patrick... Thank you all for pushing this conversation along today. Anything else you'd like to share in the last couple of minutes we have? I think from our perspective is we recognize the need to just keep learning. While we feel very comfortable with what we've done over the last several years and how we're moving forward, we know we've got to be adaptable, I guess, to our changing learnings, what we learn, and then what our customers are looking for, too. So we appreciate these kinds of forums, and it's always a great opportunity to challenge our thinking because we're going to have to keep doing that as things continue to move forward. So thank you for the time. Brian, thank you again for, for having us. Always a joy, Valerie. And, and Matt, you're welcome back anytime. Patrick, any final nuggets from you no, thanks everybody and um Patrick thanks nuggets. to ariel and 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 to brian for um keeping these very dynamic conversations going it's not only important to our listeners but to our practice and i think helpful to all of our our clients and those who are involved in our knowledge community 
to continue to change and innovate our thinking. So thanks. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, The Intersection of Real Estate Strategy and Workplace Strategy with Valerie Garrett, VP and Director of Workplace Design at Fifth Third Bank, Matt Kovich, Director of Project Delivery and Corporate Real Estate at Nationwide Insurance, and Patrick Donnelly, Client Leader and Partner at BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tendons to see what topics drive design.